awesome to be with you. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. Um, eight verses this morning. We're going to begin in verse 10. I'll read the passage as is our pattern, and then we're going to dive in and have a look at this uh, incredible story and passage. You've all heard this story, I'm sure. Um, you don't have to be a Christian or to be in church too often to know that there is a story in the Bible about Jesus feeding 5,000 men at one time. It was actually a lot more than that, obviously, because that was just counting the men. So let's read the passage, and then we'll unpack this story for today. Beginning in verse 10 of Luke chapter 9, Luke records these words. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he, Jesus, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he, Jesus, said to them, You give them something to eat. (laughs) They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people... For there were about 5,000 men. And Jesus said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is God's Word. This is God's Word. I want to start off this morning by talking about a word, a kind of a concept, an identity that many of us um, are raised to believe in. And the word is independence. It's a word, and I want to suggest, and an identity that is heralded in our world, in our culture, in our very lives, as what every human being should aspire to, right? We want to become independent people. It's not only something that you and I have heard of and something that you and I, for most of the cases, aspire to, but it's something that is promoted, and, and our greatest institutions whether it's governments, but also schools and, and companies, they, this is being promoted to us. And of course, it's made famous um, mostly in North America, but it's really worldwide because of something called the U.S. Declaration of what? The Declaration of Independence, right? When, when the country was formed. Now, interestingly, when it was formed, it was really the, the 13 states of the Union at that time declaring independence from Great Britain which is what they were doing, which is a good thing. They were declaring we're an independent country on our own. Uh, We no longer are under the rule and reign of Great Britain, the king or the queen. We're on our own. Well, actually, that's, that's a good understanding of independence. But then taken from that declaration are these words that... I think almost many, many of you in this room could maybe even quote this as much as you could maybe quote John 3.16, right? Because some people in, in the U.S. kind of think that this was actually from the Bible, right? Okay. It's these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, 
that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable, unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I hate to shatter any illusions, but this is actually not in the Bible, even though the Creator is mentioned. But, but it's out of that that this whole culture of independence has flourished. These rights that are being spoken of here are, of course, the rights of individual people, right? Independent individual people. And so this is where this whole concept really, I think, has come from. I think everyone in our postmodern world, which includes most of Europe and all of North America, is raised with the goal at some time in life of becoming independent. And, and let's face it, let's, I won't ask this morning actually why. I mean, some will suggest it's a good thing. It's a good thing because at some point in time, you, you know, people want to grow up and be able to look after themselves. Any parents here hoping that will happen to your children at some point, especially the ones who are 25 to 30, <laughs> you know, still at home, you know, like, would you just be independent? Like, so th- there's kind of a good thing we think about that, right? So again, but I want to ask this, though, because here's the problem. Many, many young people, they get to the point where they're being pushed to become independent, and they're right, yes, I want that, but really the bottom line is what they want is they want to be independent so that they don't have to be under the rule and reign authority of their parents, right? Or anyone else for that matter. So therefore, they can do whatever they want. That's one idea about independence. So again, I, I ask, why do we hold independence in such a high place, when put such high value on it? Well, maybe a better question would be to ask this. Is it true? Is it true? Is it really a good value to hold? I mean, to really hold it up there as one of the highest values in life is to be independent, financially, otherwise, etc., right? Well, the truth is, and this will be a surprise to, I think, many of you, uh, you were born actually to be dependent. You and I were created, in fact, to be dependent people. Sometimes independence is the last thing that actually you want or I want. I think about it this way. When you were between the ages of 0 to 15, you were pretty much dependent on others all the time for various things, particularly from the age of zero to five, like you're dependent on mom, dad, somebody to feed you, clothe you, change you, (laughs) I mean, protect you from killing yourself, right? You're completely 100% dependent. And you know what? Life was good, wasn't it? Can any of you remember those years? But even as you grow from 5 to 15, you're still dependent on mom and dad for provisions, for roof over your head, for, for your clothes, for food, for everything you have. Then you become dependent on teachers and others in life. You become dependent on your government to provide you with health care and policing to keep you safe and protect you. You're dependent. In certain ways, we're dependent. We're like, that's good. I'm happy to be dependent on those things. Well, then you became dependent as you grow older, as I said, on your teachers and others to protect you. But in fact, here's the thing. It's not just in your early years that we were born to be dependent. It's what, come on, you and I know this, Christian. We know from Genesis 1 to 2, it's the way God created us. He created us to be dependent fully all the time. It's what God intended you for you and I from the beginning. In Genesis 1 2, we read of God creating us, male and female. And listen, this is an important part of the Genesis record. They were created fully 
mature. Male and female, not as babies, but created fully mature. And yet God provided everything for them. All the food they could eat, a perfect climate. They needed no clothes. There was no shame or guilt, of course, because there was no sin at that point. They had everything. More importantly, they had an afternoon walk every day, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us, with God, their creator, the one that was providing everything for them. And they lived in a, in a place and in a, in, a, in a situation where being fully dependent was good. There was no desire to be independent until, right? Somebody comes along, of course, and asks the question, did God really say? Is God really dependable? The great lie that Satan gave to Adam and Eve was the idea that, that of this. The, the idea, the lie was, you know what? Life will be better for you if you are independent, right? You don't need God. You can be like him if you'll just eat of this fruit. If you'll buy the lie that you can be independent and happy and successful and, and looked after independently by yourself without God, what a lie. What a lie. So, no, God created us to not only be fully dependent on him, but also, look at this, to be I mean, naturally, pardon me, which leads to the, the concept of the fact that not only are we to be dependable, dependent on someone else, but also, obviously, therefore, dependable people, right? Dependable. To be there for each other, husband and wife, brother and sister, fellow human being, our chief responsibility then is not to seek our own independence, but responsibility for each other. In other words, to be dependable, reliable people. On the other hand... Most of our, I think if we think about it truthfully, most of our social problems we have today can be traced to our thinking that independence is the goal. Come on, marriage problems today, relationship problems in our world today, two radically individualistic, independent people come together and wait a second, I'm supposed to act towards you like I depend on you and, and, and you on them and, and you're supposed to be responsible and dependable? Yeah, but is that the way it works out all the time? What causes the strife, do you think? Me seeking to be independent. My needs coming above my wife's, etc. So radical feminists, of course, they lose their minds over this whole idea that you should depend on your husband, don't they? Like they just lose their brains over this. But here's the deal, men. There's a reason for that, really. And that is because an awful lot of the time... Men are just not stepping up to the plate and being dependable in the way that they should. Amen, ladies? Come on. In unison. Yes. I understand. So one final example of this problem, I think, are the times in our lives when actually we lose our independence, right? I don't know if any of you have been so sick or uh, injured in such a way that you, you could not function on your own without the help of someone else. You lose your independence, right? And, and then there's going to come a time. Some of you are going to get to a point, you know, Lord willing, where like life is going to be, it's weird. Eh? You start off as a child where everybody needs to feed you and change your diapers and things like that. And then you get to a point in life, oh, dear Lord, please no. But right where you're going to become maybe again fully dependent. Do you know what I find the saddest thing about that in our world and our culture today is? People who are older who now are reverting to a situation where they are fully dependent on someone else, they're viewed as being weak. 
and as a failure. That's kind of sad, isn't it? That's very sad. It's about dependence. That's what this wonderful story is all about. It's about dependence and being dependable. So our story today and the miracle that Jesus performs, I think hopefully will point us to this truth. We are created by God to be dependent and be dependable on him first and foremost, and then with each other as well. So your sermon title for today is Jesus is more than enough. I'm going to repeat that at the end. So please remember that Jesus is more than enough. I'm going to repeat that to myself later today, tomorrow morning, the next day, that Jesus is more than enough. Let's look at the beginning of the story in verses 9, uh, chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, chapter 9, pardon me, verses 10 and 11. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned about this, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and he cured those who had need of healing. So if, if you read back in Luke to uh, only as far, quite frankly, as chapter 7, verse 49, and then through all of chapter 8, you're going to continually hear the question, and I've been repeating it now for a few weeks, you're going to continually hear the question in the gospel, who is this guy? Who is this man? Jesus. He's performing miracle after miracle after miracle. He's preaching amazing sermons about the kingdom of God, declaring that I'm God. I'm here to initiate my kingdom, to, to redeem you, to restore you, to save you. And people are asking this question. Today, once again, and his orderly account, Luke is going to continue answering this key question. And this time we're recording one of Jesus' most incredible miracles. There are only two miracles related to Jesus that are recorded in all of the Gospels. This one and his resurrection from the dead. So, so this, this is clearly important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this event. Same story, some different details adding to the details, but the same truthful story that took place. So the past several weeks and months, we have seen uh, that things have become busier and busier and busier for Jesus. And as we mentioned last week, up until the passage from last week where he sends out the 12 on this short-term missions trip, Jesus has been doing everything for 18 months, doing all the preaching about the kingdom of God, doing all the healings, all the raising from the dead. He's doing everything. The 12 are just coming along and all the other disciples and just getting the benefits of it and learning from him. But he's doing everything. And then he sends the 12 out to do this short-term mission trip. And so after their time of sharing, they come back from this missions trip, as we see here, and they share with Jesus, hey, like we were away for two weeks, and you empowered us to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom, and people were believing in you, and we were healing the sick and casting out demons. It was remarkable. And that's what they're sharing with Jesus when they come back. And so the trip at this point up to the area of Bethsaida is approximately about 10 to 12 kilometers from where they're currently at, which would be, interestingly enough, about the distance from here to Alice Lake. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> it would be about from here to Alice Lake. So you, you can imagine, Jesus says, hey, let's get away. We're going we're gonna to go away. And I, I think their original idea was is that he's going, let's go get some R&R. &R. Okay, you guys are tired. You've been on a, a major trip here, and I'm, I'm tired. So let's get away. Let's go up near Bethsaida, and uh, you know, we're going to just go out into the wilderness, and we're just going to rest. I think that's what they pretty much thought. 
However, the crowds had heard, as they usually did, through the grapevine that Jesus was headed to this area near Bethsaida, and they hike up there as well. So I want you to look at this right away. What is Jesus' response? I mean, when he gets there and all these people show up, is, is his response, hey, 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 this is just for my guys and a few of the ladies that are following with us. And listen, listen I, I've, been, I've been preaching to you for a long time. Like, you know, um, you, you know like I, I know that you're not into the miracle worker. You're not into me. You're just into the miracles and the free food and, and the healings. Uh, listen, was that his response? <laughs> not at all. 18 months. It's now 20 months. And Jesus is like, welcome, welcome. It's good to have you here. It's good to have you here. He welcomes them. He teaches them one more time about the kingdom. He's like, okay, you know what? Sit down. Let me, let me tell you about the kingdom. Let me tell you why I'm here. I, I'm, I'm here to, to make all things good again. I'm here to heal the sick. I'm, I'm, I'm here to deal with the problem of evil. I'm, I'm here to show you God in the flesh. And I'm here to save you and redeem you and make you all well again and give you eternal life. And then anyone who needed healing, he heals them all. He heals them all. And so I I think you would agree with me that this tells us one clear thing about Jesus. It tells us, as we saw weeks ago, Jesus always has time for anyone who will just come to him. Even people who've come to him and come to him and walked away and come to him and walked away and come to him and walked away. He's always like, oh, oh, you're back? Welcome. He's always available. He neither judges nor does he say, listen, you had your chance. He never says things like that. I think it tells us one thing more, though, doesn't it? it? It's the same thing we've been learning for several weeks now. Not only is Jesus showing compassion for all of these people, for the lost, but he's also, again, these disciples are there, and he's modeling for them what good ministry, what good discipling should look like in the kingdom of God. He's modeling for them that, no, no, the people are back. Welcome them. Tell them about me. Heal them. Love them. Take care of them. And so he's doing that right there for his... Dep- he's always on mission. He's always on mission. Oh, Lord, I've been a pastor now for nine years since planting this church, and I'm like... And, and some of you know that I think I'm on mission. Not all the time. I keep forgetting that this is what it's about. It's not about me. It's about him, and it's about the mission, about giving the gospel to the lost and to those who need discipling. goes on in verse 12 to say, Now the day began to wear away. So, you know, you can imagine they get up there in the morning and Jesus is preaching all afternoon. It, it's getting, the day is starting to, you know, dusk. It's, you know, it's getting close, like three thirty, four o'clock, maybe later in the day. And the 12 came and said to Jesus, <laughs> send the crowd away to go into the surrounding village and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Can't you see that, Jesus? 
I had to laugh this week as I was preparing this story and trying to, I'm trying to imagine the situation. And, you know, I always ask you to do this, to imagine along with me. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it going, I guess, 2,000 years ago. Keep, like, what was really going on there, right? And I'm trying to imagine this. It reminded me of the story of Jairus, remember, a few weeks ago, where, where he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you know, my daughter, she's, she's dying, but please come and heal her right? And, and Jesus is like, okay, and he starts to follow him, but right, and it's a huge crowd there, right, in the marketplace. And then this woman comes up, touches his gown, and this woman who's had a 12-year uh, discharge of blood, right? She's immediately healed, and Jesus stops. And he's like, who touched me? Right? And we imagine at that time, like, J. Iris is like, excuse me? Did you see all these people here? Like, what are, why are you asking who touched you? My daughter's dying. Would you just come? Reminds me of that story a little bit when you think about it, right? You know how the story answered uh, was, but, but I imagine that at this point, really, of what he thought. So today, the 12, I think, might be looking at Jesus and, and, and thinking, listen, Jesus, I thought we were coming to a, like a retreat, a spa time, just to be with you, you know? And we were going to continue sharing about this great trip we were on, and we were just going to have a meal just with us. And it was just going to be that one of those things, right? And then, of course, as the crowds are back, and Jesus spends the whole day with them, and not with them... Daylight is starting to fade, and the 12 are like, okay, good, good, look, good, Jesus. That was a great day. Good job. Good job. But don't you think it's time to tell these people to go home? <laughs> That's essentially what they're saying, isn't it? And so, look, I, I want us to see this very clearly, that these guys are, are, are not thinking about these thousands and thousands of people at all, are they? They're, they're thinking of themselves, selfishly independently. Very sad. Their solution? Come on, Jesus. Send them to some other people to look after them, right? Send them into the town so the people can look after them. Or maybe some of the farms and homes on the way there where them, maybe, maybe they can depend on those people. Certainly not on us. I mean, after all, look around. We're in the middle of nowhere. That's their response to everything they've just been seeing about Jesus. I don't think we should be too hard on these guys, despite the fact they'd seen all of what he's been doing for you know, almost two years now, and they just went out and did it themselves. I don't think we should be hard on them because we're just like that. All of us are just like that to this day. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> oh. They said, we, we have... We have two fish and five loaves. Unless we go buy food for all these people. And then it says, for there were 5,000 men. The words, you give them something to eat. I mean, just stop and look at that. This is, it's good because we can't miss this. How do you think those words would have landed on these guys? Right? I mean, it, it sounds like they're a bit incredulous. They're like, Jesus how are we supposed to do that? That's kind of good. Like, we don't have the power and strength to do that. How are we going to do that, right? What do you think Jesus' expression or tone might have been? I find that a little harder to assess because, you know, I, first of all, don't want to imply what, but, you know, is he frustrated with them? Is he demanding? He's compassionate. He's loving. But he's very direct, too. When he commands something, he means it. And so he tells them to feed them, right? And heal them. 
Jesus had welcomed them, preached the kingdom, then healed them. And, and here's the thing that I noticed about that. They didn't actually ask, I mean, they did show up, but they didn't actually ask Jesus and say, plead with him. Hey, would you, would you heal us or more? Would, hey, listen, would you feed us right now? Like, we don't really want to go home. Would you feed us? He doesn't ask for that. They don't ask for that, I should say. So now the disciples, I think, again, I'm going to suggest, are just thinking of themselves. They're thinking that for us to do what you're asking us to do, we'd need to go and buy food for all these people. So they're thinking purely in human strength and in human power and human resources and their ability to do this. The truth is also they probably don't want to spend the money on these people. Like, Jesus, don't you, don't you realize these people are just takers? They're just coming all the time. They take, and then they leave, and they never bring anything back. Could have been what they're thinking. Won't that make them dependent on us, on you? Might have been another thought that they had. And besides, there are 5,000 of them, and we're tired. You're tired. Can't they just go look after themselves? These are some of their thoughts. So now again, see the picture. There's 5,000 men. And of course, in those days, in, in the writings of those days, they only counted men. But so that means there were 5,000 men, at least an equal number of women. And then there were probably children there too. So some, some scholars estimate there could have been 12, 15,000 people there, which would be approximately, imagine this, two-thirds or more of the population of Squamish is at Alice Lake. Glad they didn't all show up last night. <laughs> there wouldn't have been enough... Ch- well, maybe there would have been enough chili if they all brought some, right? But... It wasn't a potluck what they were at here, was it? 5,000, maybe up as, as many as, as, as 15,000. And, and the guys are thinking, like, listen, it's a long walk back to Independent Grocer. See what I did there? It's actually what it's called, right? Independent Grocer. So why is Jesus directing them to do this? Well, just like he did for the crowd, it, it isn't the truth is he's showing them compassion, I think. He's showing them compassion too, or at least, listen, at least patience. He's not, he's telling them to do something. He's waiting for them to smarten up and figure out they need to ask him for his help. So let's be honest, they've spent 18 months with the God-man who has done everything to prove to them and to the whole world that he is in fact God. He's just recently empowered them to go on this missions trip and do all that they do and, and, and... do exactly the things that he's been doing, and now they're at this point. So the crowd of people never asked, as I said, Jesus for anything, and yet he showed them compassion. I'm wondering, isn't it possible that Jesus is asking them to pray? Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, empower us to feed these people. Let's, let's do this. You can do this. Help us to feed these people. They don't ask that. Is Jesus not saying to the twelve? Listen, I've already demonstrated to you that I've given you my power and authority. Why are you not asking it from me now? Why not ask me? So like we learned last week, a big lesson was this. Jesus, having done a work in you, wants to do a work through you. This is the thing as Christians, we, we, need, to, we need to pick up on this all the time. He, he wants to do a work in you, not so that you can be independently saved by God. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. Now go live an independent life. No, he wants to do a work in you and through you. And that's part of the process that we're seeing him teach these. So that is the lesson they were to learn from what he does and what he had just said to them. It's the same lesson, I believe, that he wants you and I also to learn today. 
And so look what happens. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And they did so and had them all sit down. So this is just setting the stage. I, I searched high and low for scholars and commentators to explain why the groups of 50, because I've always wondered that. Like, you know, like, okay, why don't just sit down? <laughs> and why, why in groups of 50, right? It's interesting. And I, there's no one has come up with a, an absolute understanding or reason for that. And, and it's sort of like, well, that's just what Jesus did. But I, I, I want to show you today, I think there is a reason as we see it unfold. And then we see it says this, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. Twelve to 15,000 men, women, and children all ate and were satisfied. And what was left was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So do you see it? It's marvelous. Yes, there, yes, there's the miraculous power that flows from, look, look, from heaven, Jesus looks to heaven, flows from heaven to the sun, right? And through his hands to the fish and the loaves. But there's also the lesson that unfolds, and I'm sure, I'm sure at this point, oh, I sure hope so, the 12 didn't miss it. And I hope we don't miss it today. So as I said, having heard this story, I've often imagined them walking, the way I've seen it is this, I imagine them walking with baskets of fish and loaves that Jesus has broken, and I imagine them walking up to groups of 50, and then as they go from one group to 50 to the next, their baskets are just miraculously refilled. I don't think so. You see, when you look at the Greek tense in this passage, what's really interesting is the Greek tense suggests that the fish and the loaves continued to flow from Jesus' hands. And so maybe, maybe sit down in 50 groups, people of uh, groups of approximately 50, and every time your basket's empty, you've got to come back to me to have them refilled from my hands, and then you go to another 50. That's interesting, isn't it? I, I did the math. If there were 15,000 people there at Alice Lake or outside of Bethsaida, that if there were just 12 apostles delivering the baskets, they would have had to make 300 trips. That's a lot of trips. But 300 times they'd have to go back to Jesus and say, fill my basket so I can feed these people. What a lesson. Amen? Repeatedly going back to Jesus and saying, okay, I need some, need some more provision so that we can provide for these people. So it's such a beautiful picture for us about how Jesus provides. He, his provision is, say it with me, unlimited. Amen? <laughs> All more than we need. Again, remember what we saw last week. They were told to take nothing on their short-term missions trip, right? And then Jesus at the end of Luke, we're going to see in Luke chapter 2, is going to remind them of that story and he's going to ask them, do you remember when, when you went on that trip? Did you need of anything? And in unison, they all said, nothing. Last week's story, this week's story, Jesus is more than enough. 
more than enough in every, every situation. So what is the answer to the question that Luke is providing for us today, that the Holy Spirit is providing for us today? The answer is, who is this man? He is our God, our creator, our sustainer, and our provider. Jesus. Jesus. So there's a few pictures that we're reminded of, which is beautiful. This story, again, there's nothing that happens in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, in the ministry of God that isn't intentional and related, which is why when you read your Bibles, you can trust them. We're reminded of of here in this story, we're reminded of the Exodus, aren't we? Right? God's provision of manna every day for how many years? (laughs) Forty years. Right? Bread from heaven for the people. Moses recorded in Deuteronomy 8.3 these words. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This was to remind them at this point, to remind them at this point after the exodus of what God has done. Why aren't you being faithful? Do you not remember? Every day, bread from heaven? Hmm. The Apostle John records these words, which immediately follow this passage related to the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000. It says this in John, uh, John chapter 6, 15, perceiving then, Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, they, they, had, they, they looked at this. Kings in those days were your provider, right? And kings that offered universal health care and free food and free education and good stuff like that, we want those kind of kings. So, so what they, Jesus knew this, though. What they wanted was to make him king so that he would provide breakfast, too. And that's why he departs at this point in time. Their independence was more precious to them, I want to suggest, than depending on fully on Jesus for everything, including their spiritual needs, which is why, and this is a remarkable piece, later in John's gospel, just after this story is concluded, these words come from the lips of Jesus to his disciples who are now alone with him after the crowds have gone home. And Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is an incredible story. It's an incredible true story. I was surprised this morning when Wayne was speaking about uh, the song (laughs) that he chose. We didn't talk about this. uh, Because I I knew that in my conclusion to my message today that I was also going to bring up Uh, the time that I remembered when we commissioned our Vision 2018 team to start dreaming big about the future of our church. That was last November, almost a year ago, we asked the Vision team that we collected together to, to, to pray about and to dream big about where should we gather in the future as a church? Should we stay at Eagle Eye? 
Should we move to the ledge? Should we look for a third location, right? And, and we asked the team to dream and to dream big by asking this question. It was actually in the sheet that I gave to them, and, and I asked them to read this and, and to dream this way. And it was to ask this question, what could or should we be doing that would require a miracle from God? So, so in other words, let, let's not meet and you know, look at the logistics. Well, the eagle eye has these benefits, and the ledge has these, and these are the downsides. And like in human... And, and then you mentioned the resources, like the money that would be needed to do these things, right? And so in other words, we were asking this, what risks could we take that in human terms are impossible, but by having believing faith that with God nothing is impossible, we will see many men, women, and children come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That was what was given to the vision team. And here we are. We needed to raise a lot of money, guys. And God gave us not only what we needed, but more. We had some baskets left over, didn't we? So let me encourage you with this. Whenever you find yourself running on empty, you just need to ask, give me today my daily bread of life. And you will find that Jesus is more than enough. Three things I want to leave you with today as a challenge, but also as an encouragement. Three things to take away today, really quickly. Number one, be dependent on Jesus for everything every day. <laughs> That's pretty easy for that to roll off my lips, isn't it? It's, it's really easy for you to hear it. I want to challenge you with that this week. Every time you're worried about something, you're not sure about this and what, whether this is going to work or that's going to happen or I can do this or they can do this or pray. Ask him to provide for you. Trust him every day. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 seems appropriate. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will provide for every single need that you have. Number two, be dependent on each other. Like, like be dependent on each other, which goes with number three, which is important that they go together. Be dependable for each other. Be dependable. The reason why we do missional community group, by the way, is not just so we can gather each week and have amazing potlucks, which we do. It's, it's, it's because we want to learn to become family, functional family, and yet we're still kind of messy, right? Because we're human and we're sinful and we're... But that's why we're going there. But you know what we're also trying to do and why we're trying to do that? Is we want you to learn, I need to learn how to depend on others. To be dependable. To show up. That's the best way you can show that you're dependable for others and you are depending on them. Show up. Friends, if you're not in a missional community group here today and you're a Christian, fill out an info card. Go online, sign up, come on out. Here's the thing. We need you. We need to depend on you. And you need us. You need to depend on us. 
So throughout this week, let me suggest this. Ask Jesus where he wants you to go today, tomorrow, and the next day, whom he wants you to speak life into, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words. Ask Jesus to give you his power and his provision for those who depend on you today, tomorrow, and the next day. Then go in that power and be dependable. Be dependent on Allow the provision of Jesus to flow from his, fa- his hands through you to those who are in need. Pray with me, would you?